you know, a team like Florida, uh, and they don't leave Florida hardly ever for a non-conference game, if ever. I mean, it's been a lot of years. I couldn't give you the exact uh, detail, but but uh, that just tells you that uh, you know we're we're at a place program-wise, not where we want to be, but we've made uh, great strides and, and inroads into our national brand, and it's uh, still a work in progress. That's right, Coach, and we will tell you in a minute just how rare this road trip is for the Florida Gators. I'm Greg McElroy. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Always College Football. We're just a little over 24 hours away from getting the season officially underway. So what better way than to break it down? You know us. We're going to dive into the matchups. We're going to tell you about the names that you need to know. We're going to look at some of the players of significance for some of the teams that will take the field tomorrow night. A lot of very intriguing games, a lot of very intriguing matchups. We'll also give you a couple picks based on how I think these things might play out. I want to encourage all of you to continue to rate and review the podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our podcast numbers are going up like crazy. We think we do a pretty good job. We're proud of the work that we do and trying to make sure that we interact as often as we can with the listeners. We're going to continue to do that. But your likes, your ratings, and your reviews are going to help us to continue to grow. For all of us here at Always College Football, we love you. And we are going to be with you every single step of the way as we move forward throughout the season. So let's kick it off, shall we? Let's talk about some big-time matchups on Thursday night. Thursday night, opening night. I know week zero counts. But this is the real slate, and we have some great matchups to look forward to. We're going to break down a few right here, and I don't think you're going to find a more comprehensive breakdown than the one that you'll find on Always College Football. We take pride in how much time we put into it. We appreciate all the great resources that we have, and we will have you as prepared as humanly possible when you sit down to watch both Utah and Florida and then Nebraska and Minnesota, and then we'll give you a few things to look for on a few other games that might not be quite as competitive, but either way, we'll break it down as best we possibly can. Let's start with Florida and Utah. Think about last year, and I don't want to always revert back to last year because in the portal, man, you're almost like a completely different team every year. I mean, it's like, I mean, we're, oh, you got 17 returning starters. Yeah, well, seven of those guys couldn't play. And, you know, I mean, maybe the guys coming back that they transferred in, they're actually better than the guys that were there. So returning starters, not really huge. But you think about what Utah was last year coming into the season. Ranked seventh in the AP poll in the preseason, their highest preseason ranking ever. And they went on the road to Florida to be upset by Anthony Richardson and what was a miraculous performance from the future top five pick. Kyle Whittingham, it's also wild to me. I can't believe he's been there 19 years. <laughs> that uh, Just reading through some of the notes and reading through some of the highlights, 19 years, man, second longest tenured coach in America. It's amazing what he's created. Think about Florida too from a historical standpoint. This is not something we see them do very often. This is actually their first road non-conference regular season game outside of the state of Florida since 1991. They played at Syracuse. So it's been nearly 30 years since we've seen a Florida team leave Florida in a true road non-conference game. Now those will point to the game against Michigan. That was a neutral site that was back in 2017. So we don't see this very often from the Florida Gators who so take that into account as well. The biggest storyline in the game Cam Rising. 
his availability, his health. Is he recovered? Is he cleared? Can he do it? Did he practice enough in 11 on 11 drills to be able to put his best foot forward? They're going to continue to evaluate this situation probably all the way up until the game. In the event that he can't play, I'll tell you a little bit about the backups. But if he can, here's what Utah's getting. You're talking about a two-time Pac-12 uh, champion. You're talking about a two-time All-Pac-12 choice. You're talking about the Pac-12 championship game MVP from 2022. Uh, ninth last year in the FBS in total QBR. And four career touchdown passes in the Pac-12 championship games, which is a conference record. So the thing that I like most about Cam Rising, he's pretty efficient. He's an active and willing runner. He's a tremendous leader. He's extremely tough. But what I like a lot as far as on-field play, he's excellent against pressure. So the more you bring pressure, the more you try to heat him up, the more you try to make life difficult on him, he's going to tear you up. He had the fifth best QBR under pressure in the FBS last year. And the other thing that he does a great job is he doesn't really allow pressures to bring him down in the backfield. He got sacked on just 8.7% of his pressures. That was the seventh best mark in the FBS. So the fact that he doesn't get sacked very often, he gets the ball out and he turns your aggressive play defensively into a positive play for his offense is significant. And new defensive coordinator at Florida, that's Austin Armstrong. He's coming over from Southern Miss, had a little bit of a stop in Tuscaloosa where he was going to be a position coach, but he ended up replacing Patrick Tony as the DC for the Florida Gators. It's a guy that wants to heat you up. He wants to bring heat. He wants to get after you. He wants to attack the quarterback. Well, if Cam Rising's back there at quarterback, he might not be quite as willing to press the gas pedal and bring the heat. The backup quarterback options for Utah in the event that he can't go. Bryson Barnes, who by the way is an Eagle Scout. And if you want like a cool story, he grew up and raised 12,000 pigs on his property in Southern Utah. How is that going to help him win against the Gators? I don't know, but I thought it was interesting. And I thought you might enjoy that little tidbit. Eagle Scout and 12,000 pigs raised for Bryson Barnes, but we have seen him on the field in meaningful snaps in the past. He got into the 2022 Rose Bowl game. That was the 2021 season. That was against Ohio State. And he was a very accomplished high school quarterback, but did not have a lot of scholarship offers. So he walked onto the Utah program and has done a really good job of accommodating uh, and being good quality depth and in opportunities where he's gotten to play, he's, he's been pretty dang good. The other guy that you need to keep an eye on is Nate Johnson. He is electric. He is the fastest guy on the team, state high school track champion, played at times a little bit last year, but was really more of a package player, but they've been real pleased with his development this off season. So I don't expect him to be your down in, down out guy, but as far as an X factor is concerned, remember the name. Nate Johnson, they're going to be complemented by an excellent run game, uh, a run game that everyone seems to be very bullish on. Jaquindon Jackson and Micah Bernard are the tandem that will be filling in for Tavian Thomas, who's now moved on. Jaquindon Jackson, there's so much buzz about him, and understandably so. Converted quarterback, averaged almost seven yards a carry last year, uh, and he was 14th in the FBS among players that had more than 75 carries. So now with an extensive load, they're very bullish on what he could do. Another guy that we're keeping a close eye on as far as his availability is Brent Keithy. Now, I remember last year through four games, he had you know 200 yards, was a go-to guy in the passing game, was one of the best tight ends in America before tearing his ACL in week five. 
Of course, Dalton Kincaid stepped right in. They didn't miss a beat. But Brett Keithy is also a guy, if he's not available, then the tight end position is going to fall to Thomas Yasmin, who I think is very underappreciated and could fill that boy. But it'd be really nice to have both Yasmin and Keithy in the event that they're both available. I do think the wide receiver group is improved from a year ago. If you don't believe me, listen to this quote from Cam Rising himself. Quote, depth from top to bottom. We've got guys that could go. We've got guys that could go one-on-one. I'm looking forward to that. He, they feel like it's a deeper group than they've had in the past with Vele, Money Parks, and then Micah Pittman. Micah Pittman, the transfer from Florida State, he'll occupy the slot. They should be in pretty good shape right there. And you love the offensive line. It's a tough group. It's a physical group that wants to impose the line of scrimmage going against a Florida defense that gave up 411 yards a game last year. It's the second worst average ever in the history of the program. And they gave up 175 rushing yards a game, which was their worst mark since 1979. So that's why Austin Armstrong is there to try to shore up a group that's been very proud in the past but hasn't been so great in recent years. They do bring back Uman Mielin at uh, as an edge rusher, who is the guy that's going to have to increase the pressures. They were not good on third down last year. They couldn't get off the field. And they didn't do a very good job of getting after the quarterback. They were not great when it comes to pressures. They were not great as far as getting quarterbacks to the ground. So they got to improve both those things against what should be a very efficient Utah offense. As far as Florida's offense, a lot of eyes will be on Graham Mertz. The transfer from Wisconsin, we've talked about him all offseason. Think about what he was in his first career game. That was against Illinois. It was back during COVID. They won 45-7. And he had what I would call a pretty decent day. 20 of 21, 248 and five touchdowns. Well, since that game, it hasn't been quite as good. Kind of dinked and dunked there early in his career. Last year, he stretched the field a little bit more. His air yards per attempt went up by a couple yards, averaged almost 10 yards an attempt last year. But here's the problem. He's got sacked a lot last year. First couple years, just 25 sacks. Last year, just in 2022 alone, he was sacked 23 times. So even though you're letting things develop downfield, you still have to have that internal clock to take off when necessary, especially if the offensive line for Florida, which is a bit of a question mark coming into the season, if they haven't solidified completely from left to right. Their best weapon in the passing game is Ricky Pearsall. He's back for another year. He transferred from Arizona State last year, had a great season. But this Florida wide receiver core as a whole last year struggled quite a bit with drops. They did not do a great job of securing the catch. Ricky Pearsall is the most reliable and you got to think that they're going to feature him in the passing game as often as they can. But the offense at its core is going to run through the running backs. Montrell Johnson, who is very efficient, maybe not crazy home run hitter speed, but very efficient getting downhill. And then Trevor Etienne, if you recognize that last name, that's right. It's Travis Etienne's brother. Very dynamic back that can do a lot for you, not just on first and second down, but in the pass game on third down as well. Utah, we know what they are. Against... Average competition last year, they were lights out. Absolutely lights out. But against the best teams on their schedule in 2022, there was a significant drop-off. Against Florida, Oregon, USC, UCLA, and Penn State, they gave up 7.2 yards of play. They were minus three in the turnover margin. They gave up 15 touchdown passes and had just three interceptions. And they had a total QBR in those five games of 60. 
That's not good enough. You think about who they went against against some of the lower level competition, four and a half yards of play, plus nine turnover margin, five touchdowns given up to just nine intercept to nine interceptions forced, and then a total QBR of 17. So where is Florida's offense? They're probably a little bit more of the middling group. They're not USC. They're not Penn State. They're not Oregon. Probably a little bit more of a middling group, but a group that I think is underappreciated in the trenches. And when you look at Utah's strength, very good up front, excellent at the second level, and maybe the best safety duo in probably the Pac-12 at the very least with Vaki and and Cole Bishop. Those two guys do an amazing job. I lean Utah in the game, but I think it's going to be close. I would take the points if I were looking into it from that perspective. Let's go next to Nebraska and Minnesota. Another very interesting game. Nebraska's offense, all eyes will center around Jeff Sims, a guy that looked like he was beginning to turn the corner in the midway point last year, and then he got hurt in week eight against Virginia, which ultimately cut his season short. He has done some decent things at times in his career. The problem is the completion percentage and the efficiency has been a little bit off, a little bit hit or miss with the accuracy, but by all accounts, he has really taken some steps forward in the offseason, has great comfort within this offense. I think his best football is in front of him, and I'm really excited to see how he does. Flanking him to the side will be Gabe Urban. Uh, I think some people were a little curious as to what the pecking order would be at running back for Nebraska, but you got a big physical guy who a couple years ago was excellent until tearing his ACL in September. He's been working his way back and now has full confidence, and they have a couple deep a couple of guys behind him to provide adequate depth at the position. Then at wide receiver, I think there's a bit of a question mark there for Nebraska as a whole. Now, I think maybe the most valuable player on their roster right now is Billy Kemp. He's transferred from Virginia. He does have a pretty decent college resume, but he's a little undersized. At tight end, I think they should be in pretty good shape as well, but they do have a guy in Thomas Fedona who's coming back from a couple knee injuries but he could potentially develop into a weapon in the passing game, especially when you look at how that offense might be structured. Going against the Minnesota defense, that I'm going to be probably paying the most attention to that defensive front. I think that group last year didn't get enough pressure. I think that group last year had a difficult time affecting the opposing quarterback, but they do have a lot of guys back along the front that kind of got their feet wet last year. Now it's time for them to take the next step. You got Danny Strigow, you got Jalen Logan Redding, Kyler Baugh, Ja Joyner. Those are some names that I'll be focusing on in the front. Now in the back end, they did lose quite a bit. You lose Flip Dixon, he transferred to Rutgers. You lose Beanie Bishop, he transferred to West Virginia. You have a couple guys in Howden and Terrell Smith that entered the NFL. But you still have excellent players like Tyler Newbin, Justin Wally, and linebacker Corey Lindenberg. These are some really legitimate building block pieces there on the defensive front. This is a very sound defense too, a very proud defense that will play extremely hard on every single snap, have a ton of respect for their defensive staff. So I think it's going to be hard to get cheap yardage against Minnesota. What's going to be interesting though with Minnesota is they are transitioning almost completely away from what they've been in the past. You think about what their identity was last year. It was... We have a mauling offensive line. We have arguably the best center in college football. We have an excellent running back in Mo Ibrahim, and they're going to give it to him 30, 35 times a game, and let's see what happens. Now, 
it appears as though they're starting to transition to a little bit more balanced attack. I think they'll still have decent running backs, but it's probably going to be a little bit more by committee. Sean Tyler's a transfer from Western Michigan. He's probably going to get the first crack at it. But Ethan Kaliak-Manis, their starting quarterback, he's one of the most talented guys they've had at quarterback in quite a while. So he has the potential. He has the gifts. Now it's about creating big plays downfield and doing some of the things that, you know, he just can't make mistakes, really. It's as simple as that. Can't make mistakes. But they do have, I think, pretty good weapons at his disposal. Brevin Spanford's one of the best tight ends in America. Not super elite athletically, but big physical body, very reliable as a pass catcher. So I would anticipate him getting a decent amount of looks. And then you look at the wide receivers and Daniel Jackson, really like him. Chris Altman-Bell, who's a seventh-year player, has played a ton of football. And Brockington would be another guy that you should be pretty excited about with his contributions offensively as well. The offensive line is probably one of the bigger question marks. I already mentioned the fact that you lose John Michael Schmitz from last year as a second-round pick to the New York Giants, one of the best in America at the position last year. But you also have to replace a couple other pieces up front as well. And Nebraska, if you think about what they are, they're going to run that 3-3-5. Tony White is their defensive coordinator, and they're going to kind of switch up some coverages. They're going to kind of mess with a few different looks. They're going to tilt numbers, and they're going to tilt some pressures. But I think when you look at some of the personnel on the perimeter. MJ Sherman's a transfer from Georgia. That's a name to remember. Chief Borders, a transfer from Florida. That's another name to remember as big physical guys that will hold the point on both ends of the line of scrimmage. And then in the secondary, that should be a strength. So going against what should be a pretty decent passing attack in Minnesota, they have the numbers on the back end to handle that passing attack downfield. So I think that Nebraska defense from back forward, pretty dang good in the back couple question marks there at the second level, but I do think they've improved their front seven with some of the transfers that they've added. As far as where I'm leaning in this game, I lean ever so slightly in favor of Minnesota, but I expect the game to be really close. So I think it could be a fourth quarter possession game where it's more taking the air out of the football and who can control the line of scrimmage in the back end. As far as some other games of note coming up this week, NC State, I'm going to go ahead and give it to them. I'm going to give them to it. The mess around, find out stamp of approval is going to the Wolfpack. That's right. We've listed teams in recent years, well, in recent weeks, I suppose, as a team that you don't want to mess around with because you're going to find out quickly. And the more I watch NC State leading up to this season, the more I'm thinking they could be a real problem in the ACC. Let's start with their quarterback situation. Brennan Armstrong, can't wait to see what he looks like in this offense. He's very familiar with it. Robert Anai comes down. That's where he had his best year a couple years ago with Robert Anai at Virginia. He went then to Tony Elliott, where it just didn't work. Robert Anai went to Syracuse, but now they are reunited there in Raleigh. Very excited about the possibility of this, I guess, contingent really taking off. And I think the receivers are pretty dang good. I continue to hear rave reviews out of the freshman Kevin Concepcion. I've heard he's legit. True freshman in the slot. Keep an eye on him. because You look at how Brennan Armstrong just fed the slot. 
when he was at Virginia, fed his tight ends, which also is a position of strength. Trent Penix and Chris Tattle, everyone says that that's a position of strength as well. I think their outside receivers are going to be just fine. I think the offensive line and the line of scrimmage is going to be excellent. And I continue to also hear about Michael Allen, not listed as the starter. Jordan Houston at running back is listed at the starter, but Michael Allen's listed as the number two guy. And by all accounts, he might be the most explosive running back for NC State since Naheem Hines, which is pretty dang high praise, I would say. But where I'm most bullish on NC State is their defense, and that's what I'll be watching closely in this game against UConn. You listen to Tony Gibson, I'm going to take his word. All right, here's the quote. In all my years of coaching in this defense, I think it's the best defensive line I've ever had. As a full unit, we're deeper than we've ever been. We feel good about eight guys going into the game at any time, and I really like where they're at. That includes Davin Van, who just was rewarded number one. That includes Price, Potter, Campbell, Brandon Cleveland. We're talking about a really Really good group. And if you are good at the defensive line spot and you're good at quarterback, guess what? Mess around, find out, stamp of approval. I think the back end, Peyton Wilson's an All-American contender. I think he's incredible. One of the best linebackers in America. I also think, too, you think about their cornerback tandem, Aiden White, all-ACC type of performer. Shy Battle started 28 games. We're talking about a bunch of guys who have played a ton of football. This is a really Really good football team. They're going against UConn, who's got a new quarterback coming in. Joe Fignano, uh, I don't know a whole lot about him. I couldn't even get access to the tape at Maine. I've heard good things, but it'll be interesting to watch. I'm also going to be watching UConn wide receiver Cameron Ross, who if you go back to 2019, was a real difference maker. UConn canceled a season in 2020, and then he got hurt in 2021 and really missed the entire 2022 season due to injury as well. But you think back to when he's a true freshman in 2019, he was legit. Then I'm also going to be watching Jackson Mitchell, their linebacker. The guy's a tackling machine. He had 140 tackles last year. So those are the guys I'm watching for UConn. But most of my attention will be on NC State, who I think can be a remarkable disruptor for many teams in college football this season, including Notre Dame in week two. I think that could be a very difficult game for the Irish. Let's talk quickly about Missouri. Going to be watching their quarterback situation. They're going to play both. You got Sam Horn, you got Brady Cook. Brady Cook was the starter in six games, or he was a starter in 13 games last year, won six of those games, but he got hurt in week two. And as a result, he really couldn't push the ball down the field. They were steady at quarterback. They were decent at quarterback, but they just couldn't complete a lot of deep balls. He completed just 46% of his passes that traveled more than 10 yards downfield. They have to be more explosive offensively with Luther Burden, who's back and should be coming into his own as the featured receiver now that Dominic Lovett has transferred. And then I'm also going to be very interested in watching how they play in the second half. And then I'm very interested in seeing how they play as far as penalties are concerned. They were outscored by 50 points after halftime last year. That's not good, ladies and gentlemen. That is really, really bad. That was 111th in the FBS. They were also plus 31 in penalties last year. That was the fifth worst in all of college football. Second half and penalties for Missouri if they want to take the next step and then, of course, solidify the quarterback position where they're likely going to play to at least early in the season. Let's talk a little UCF. New coordinators on both sides of the ball. I'm not super concerned about it. 
I'm just not. I think Darren Henshaw offensively is very good. You look back at his time at multiple different places. He's done a pretty good job. And he's going to be running an offense that is very familiar to John Rice Plumley and several of the other guys that are taking the field. You have some very, very good wide receivers and Javon Baker, Kobe Hudson, guys that have played an awful lot of football. So I think this offense will be just fine. Also very interested in seeing Addison Williams, who's now been promoted as the defensive coordinator. And... I think they'd have some really good pieces on the back end. I mean, they, they really do. I think they're very good in the back end and their secondary, which is a good place to start in the Big 12. The other thing I'll be watching closely for UCF are the transfers. 19 transfers that ended this program this offseason. Five transfers right now that are expected to start on offense. And then there are 15 total transfers on the offensive depth chart. So there's a bunch of guys that are coming in, forcing their way onto the field. You have 11 guys that are new to the program as well that are in the two deep on defense. So there's a bunch of new faces for UCF, several of which are upgrades in talent. So how will those guys mesh together here early in the season? I think they can be disruptive for sure. And then at Wake Forest, life after Sam Hartman for, gosh, it feels like forever since Sam Hartman's been the starting quarterback. Well, in steps Mitch Griffiths who is set to start for the full-time starter for the first time. I mean, this is a guy that has appeared in 14 career games, has six career touchdown passes, and is very well regarded amongst the staff with great feel and understanding of the offense. He's got a pretty decent supporting cast as far as weapons are concerned, but that offense puts a lot on the quarterback's shoulders as far as post-snap recognition. So I'll be watching to see how Mitch Griffiths handles that in – really his first full-time as the starting quarterback for the Deeks. As always, we continue to encourage you to submit questions to our mailbag. You can do it on social media at alwayscfb. Please give us a follow while you're there, whether it's on Instagram or on X or slash Twitter or whatever we're calling it nowadays. Give us a follow, submit your questions there. Jack's constantly monitoring that, or you could submit them via email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Coops, where are we going today, buddy? All right, first one comes from Kathy in New Orleans. She asks, do you see any possible major upsets in week one? With the exception of a few outliers, Maryland over Texas in 17 and 18, and Montana beating Washington in 21, the ranked teams usually win. Is anyone on upset alert this weekend? Now, very different from saying it could happen to me officially putting you on upset alert. So take it with a slight grain. I already told you earlier in the show, I like Utah to beat Florida, but beat them close. But that wouldn't surprise me if Cam Rising's out and Florida plays well. It wouldn't shock me if Florida pulled off an upset against a ranked opponent. Another one that I looked at, Boise State over Washington. I think Washington's much better than Boise State, but Boise State finished the season in a flurry last year, especially the regular season, and they've been giant killers in the past. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them hang in there for an extended period of time and maybe make that game a little uncomfortable for a team that has tons of preseason expectations. One that I actually am going to predict, and I don't really love it, but I kind of like Fresno State over Purdue. Now, Fresno State lost Jake Hayner, but Purdue's a little beat up right now. They got some depth issues as far as some guys that have been beat up in fall camp. Fresno State is a program that doesn't take a backseat to anybody. And their starting quarterback, Mikey Keene, is a transfer from UCF. He's played a lot of football. I mean, he understands this offense. It's a very quarterback-friendly offense. So if, for whatever reason, Purdue is as beat up as it sounds, then that 
outcome where Fresno State beats them would not be shocking to me whatsoever. And then the final one, definitely not picking this one because I'm calling the game. But if South Carolina beat North Carolina, would that surprise anybody? I mean, that line, I believe, is around two and a half or three. I don't know exactly where it's at, but in that vicinity, South Carolina is very, very good as far as their starting lineup is concerned. Where they might have some trouble is with depth, but that wouldn't come to the forefront until down the line a little bit, say week six, seven, eight. If they're not healthy, they're going to struggle to put together consistent performance. But right now, they're at 100%. Are there a couple guys dinged up? Sure. Are there a couple guys that might be limited as how much they can contribute? Perhaps. But if they beat North Carolina, I don't think anybody would consider that to be a massive or shocking upset whatsoever. Drake May's back, but there are some question marks at wide receiver. UNC has plenty of questions on defense, even though it appears as if they've improved drastically this offseason. Maybe some question marks along the offensive line. So I think both those teams have enough question marks to what any outcome really wouldn't shock me. All right. Next one comes from Drew in Tuscaloosa. He asks, isn't it conflicting for many of the analysts to say Georgia could go 12-0, and leaning on defense in a run game, yet everyone is doubting Alabama's ability to win while relying on defense, a strong O-line, and the run game? All due respect to Georgia, but it sounds somewhat hypocritical. Well, it takes into account, you referenced 12-0, and it takes into account the schedule played as much as anything else. I think if Georgia played against Texas, LSU, on the road at Texas A&M, maybe analysts would feel a little differently, but the gap between them and everybody in the SEC East is fairly significant. So I think that plays a role. And you've heard it from me. I think their offensive line is going to be excellent, but I don't anticipate Georgia leaning too heavily on the run game this year. I think they brought in pass catchers at wide receiver with Dominic Lovett. I think Lad McConkey is going to continue to improve. Uh, I think you look at at the the um, elite speed that you have on the perimeter with a couple of their guys. Brock Bowers is super dynamic. Uh, Lawson Lucky, everybody's raving about his contributions at tight end to kind of spell. And Oscar Delp, too, also a very capable pass-catching tight end as well. I actually think Georgia's going to be a team that kind of leans on their quarterback play, even though Carson Beck's inexperienced. Their depth at running back is a little bit of a concern right now. So that is something that could kind of become problematic as the season goes along. But I think Georgia, they have excellent, excellent defensive personnel. But I don't think they're going to be one of those teams that's just going to churn out games the way people anticipate. Meanwhile, Alabama, on the other hand, I think their schedule is much more difficult than Georgia's. And I also think, too, they are going to be a team that tries to impose their will at the line of scrimmage. You look at the size. You look at the strength, the collective strength and experience of the offensive line, coupled with a really inexperienced quarterback situation and a quarterback situation that might, at least at times this year, have some ups and downs. I think they're really going to lean on the run game. So I actually think Georgia and Alabama are two very different teams with how they're going to attack people offensively this year. But you know anything could change, especially if Carson Beck maybe gets off to a bit of a slow start or if one of the Alabama quarterbacks heats up. All right, and last one comes from Pete in Florida. Do you agree that Labor Day weekend is one of, if not the best weekend in college football? Rivalry weekend is special. It kind of stands on its own, but Labor Day weekend is so exciting. Football is back. Everyone is undefeated. And the games are on for five straight days across the country as we usher in the most wonderful time of year. Well, 
it always depends on the matchups, right? I mean, I'll be, I'm a diehard college football fan. You guys know that we do this show all the time, but when you look at Labor Day weekends of years past or Labor Day weekends of the future, go look at next year's week one. I'm not trying to get to 2024. You know, we are resisting the urge to talk about 2024 on this show. Like we're going to live in the now. We're going to enjoy what's right in front of us. But this year's Labor Day weekend slate, you have Florida LSU. You got, Flo- uh, you got uh, Florida State LSU. You got Florida Utah. Uh, UNC South Carolina is very interesting. I think we're all interested to see how Alabama's quarterback is, how Ohio State's quarterback situation plays out. I mean, we're interested in a lot of different storylines. But as far as just the unbelievable matchups that we normally have on week one and what we've been accustomed to in recent years in week one, maybe this year doesn't have quite as much of that. But I am 100% in line with you, Pete. I am so starved for football at this point of the season. Like I am like giddy. I couldn't even sleep last night. I think Kubiak will attest. I know Cole Kublik will attest. I was texting him at 4.15 Central Time. I couldn't sleep last. I'm so excited about the matchups this weekend. I just can't watch enough tape. I can't break it down enough. It's just we haven't had it in eight months. And I know we had last week. And last week certainly was a tremendous appetizer for what this weekend is going to provide us. But my favorite week of the year is always going to be week one. I don't care if we have the best matchups in the world or the worst matchups in the world. Because I've gone so long without it and how many storylines we've discussed on this platform and others over the course of the last eight months, I just want to see how some of these things play out. And we can absolutely chase ghosts after week one, too. I mean, we all are so starved for football that we're going to overreact drastically based on performance this weekend. We are going to overreact in a way that we shouldn't overreact. But we're fans. I mean, what do you want us to do? Like... Yeah, I've been worried all year about my quarterback situation. Then my quarterback goes out and lights it up. Now he's a Heisman Trophy contender, even though that might not necessarily be the case, right? So I, I just caution everybody. Let's enjoy this weekend. Let's celebrate this weekend, but let's not get too out over our skis this weekend. I'll just give you one example for why we shouldn't overreact. The Oregon Ducks last year. Oregon played Georgia in week one, and it got sideways. I don't think I need to remind... <laughs> all of you about what transpired in that game. We don't, we don't need to look back. It's not necessary. But when we fast forward to week 10, the narrative surrounding the Oregon Ducks was very different than the narrative surrounding the Oregon Ducks on Monday after week one. So let's have fun. Let's enjoy it. Let's consume it. Let's take it with a slight grain of salt and then evaluate the program's, their improvements or maybe their regressions as we move forward in the season. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please continue to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We've seen some of the reviews that you guys have left. We really appreciate it. Like Drew JRN, Go Ducks 2023, Brad Moore 72, Mr. FSU 88. I know you're excited for Sunday, that's for sure. Jeff M 1876, Lee 4L, L4L Hattiesburg. We see you guys and we appreciate you taking the time to write a review on Apple Podcasts, but any ratings, any reviews would be very much beneficial to us as a show as we continue throughout the fall. We'll be here for you every single week to prepare you for the matchups that are coming up this weekend and to recap the matchups as best we can from the previous weekend on every single Monday show. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. 
Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.